0: Well, good morning, Good Shepherd, whether you are live stream or live, I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here. Really glad you've joined us. This is the very first Sunday of this message series I've been excited about for a long, long time. It is called Walking on Eggshells, and some of you are professional eggshell walkers. And today's message is called Head Games. And uh, it comes from the Older Testament in your Bible. If you have your Bible with you, I wanna invite you to locate 1st. Samuel, which is in the history section of the biblical library, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we'll be looking in chapter 16 and 17. If your Bible is not here and you feel like you might be missing out on something, the good news is that the words are gonna be projected up on the screen at just the right time, so you will be able to follow along. That's vitally important to us at Good Shepherd because we believe that the biblical library, and it's not a book, it is a library, but that it's unlike any other library anywhere on earth, that God breathed his life into its words and he put his truth onto its pages. And we believe in leadership here. You may still be wrestling with it, but we want to be honest. We believe in leadership here that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And because we believe that in in this place, we do something when we talk about the Bible. Some of you are already beating me to the punch. We lift it up. And if you've never been here before and you see phones in the air and Bibles in the air and it just seems kind of a little different or strange, you know how we answer that? Yeah, we admit it. This is different. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community or a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and eager for its power to be unleashed in our lives. Amen? And so before I say any other words, let's pray. So Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the prayers that have already been lifted up that you and the Holy Spirit would be poured out in our midst. I add to those prayers. I offer myself my words, my mannerisms for all of it. And Father, I also ask that you would fill every person within the sound of my voice with that same good, beautiful, joyful, righteous Holy Spirit, in your name we pray, amen. Well, what if I told you that what is quite possibly the most famous Bible story of them all, a story known both by people who are professional Bible scholars and by people who never crack open the Bible, a Bible story that everybody knows and almost nobody has actually read, the story of David and y'all are on it, yeah, David and Goliath. What if I were to tell you that that story is not about what you think it's about? What what if I were to tell you that this story that that all of us have been conditioned to think is about a boy and a giant and a stone and a sling is really about something altogether different? What, What if I told you that the story is not about little people overcoming big obstacles, but it is instead how big people can withstand the assaults of little people And what if I I told you that in telling you all of that, that when we get to where we're going in the message, and I tell you this thing that I'm going to tell you that I can't wait to tell you, that what I ended up telling you will be liberating and breathtaking and freeing for all of you who have spent any time walking on eggshells around people. And what if I tell you all that is true? Because guess what, Good Shepherd? It is. It is. Because walking on eggshells (laughs) is where we are. It's where we're going to be for the next four weeks talking about how do you navigate touchy relationships. And and throughout this series, we're going to be navigating the touchy relationships that we find in 1 Samuel, this ancient history book. And and the reason I've really been motivated to, to do this series is because I do know from what you tell me and from what I see that So many of you have people in your lives, maybe you live with one or maybe you you, uh, grew up with one. Maybe you used to be married to one. Maybe you work with one. You you have these people in, in your life and around them you have to walk on eggshells. You never know how they will react to the exact same stimuli. Sometimes they'll blow up in anger. And then 10 minutes later, they'll offer the sweetest of apologies. Sometimes they'll be really easy to get along with. And the other, other times there is nothing you can do to make them happy, no matter how hard you try. And all in all, the people around whom you have to walk on eggshells, they keep you off balance. And they, they, they keep you off your game and, and, and kind of off kilter. And like I said, a lot of you, this is who you live with and and, and this is who you work with and and you never know how what you say will be taken. You might get an explosion or you might get an agreement. You don't know. And a lot of you were raised by someone like this and some of you go to school with people like this and there's a handful of you who are tuning in live stream and live and, and, and you're like, well, God, I don't know. I don't know anybody. I don't know. There's nobody like that in my life. That's because you're the one around whom everybody else in your family has to walk on eggshells. Yeah, really, it's because almost all of us are either a David or a Saul. Not Goliath. Saul. See, this entire series, as I mentioned, will come from the history book. About 3,000 years ago, the history that it describes. First, Samuel... And and throughout this section of 1 Samuel that we're going to be going to be looking at, Saul is the very first king of the ancient people of Israel. He has been anointed king by the prophet Samuel, who's the inspiration for the book of 1 Samuel. And yet, from the very beginning of Saul being anointed as king over the people, it's real clear that something's something's just not right with him. Something is off with Saul, his, his own emotions. Are, or he, he might be physically impressive, but he's really emotionally wounded. And, and nowhere is his own woundedness, his own weakness more evident than in Saul's or King Saul's relationship with boy David. And, and actually, you could make the case that, that the whole book of 1 Samuel is this extended psychodrama. Come on, you didn't expect to come to church today and hear the word psychodrama is this extended psychodrama of the relationship between David and between Saul. Goliath gets the headlines, but believe me, he's just a minor figure in this major story. A, a, A story in which Saul is the eggshell dropper. David has to be the eggshell walker. A story for today's purposes in which Saul plays head games and David almost, almost gets played by them. I can't wait to show you what I'm talking about. To to, to see what I mean, if you have your Bible, uh, open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verses 14 through 17. 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 17. And this describes sort of the beginning of Saul's reign. Look at what it says. It would be good if I got to the right place. 16, verse 14. Now, The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. You're like, what? An evil spirit from the Lord. We we suspect that that's really the uh, Old Testament people's way of saying God's in control of everything and God in his sovereignty and his goodness has allowed this thing to happen to Saul. Keep going in, in verse 15. Saul's attendant said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord, that's Saul, command his servants, that's us, to search for someone who can play the lyre, which is like a U-shaped heart, a stringed instrument. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you'll feel better. So, so again, Saul, regardless of the origin story of this spirit, the, the, the fact remains that from the beginning, Saul is troubled, physically impressive, emotionally wounded. He's off balance. They're, as they used to say in Monroe, he just ain't right, Saul. And, 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 and so his attendants, they, they say, hey, hey, you ain't right. I don't know if they said ain't in Hebrew. You ain't right. So we need to get you someone who can come and play the harp for you. Look what happens next. Verses 18 through 22. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man. And the Lord is with him. Verse 19. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Verse 20. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat. Because you don't send your kids anywhere without a goat, people. And a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. Verse 21. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. You might want to underline that. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. So this plan plan gets hatched. We got to get David here to play his harp to deal with Saul's spirit, mental illness, emotional ween- woundedness, whatever. But but I want to make sure that that, that we're on the same page here, Good Shepherd live stream and live. Uh, from what we've read so far, Saul knows David, right? You cannot. So Saul is familiar with David's family, correct? Yeah, there's conversation, there's familiarity, there's a goat for crying out loud. They know each other. Verse 23. Tuck that away because it's really going to matter later. Verse 23. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take out his lyre and play. And then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Ah, therapy, music therapy, but therapy nonetheless Saul really knows David because that boy is the king's therapist. And it turns out that way before David was ever a fighter, he, he was a lover before he was a fighter. Gentle, gentle spirit. And well, the, the, the story continues in verse 17. And the the author of of first samuel he's such a genius in how he tells the story he just builds the tension in the story and builds the expectation and then fills us with surprise it's almost like the bible is full of inspired eternal and true authors isn't it and over in chapter 17 goliath from the enemy philistines has been taunting and mocking and killing the Israelite army. And so look what happens in chapter 17, verses 32 and 33, when David wants to get involved dealing with this uh, giant of a man, Goliath. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, it's me, will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. So, so again, wanna make sure that we're, we're following along, that Saul knows David. Yes, there's familiarity, there's negotiation, there's even, hey, hey David, you're a lover, you're not a fighter, I can't let you go out against this guy. But David keeps his negotiation up And look what happens next in verse 37, skipping down just a little bit. This is David speaking. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. And a tunic is, is a, a shirt that people wore in the ancient days. It, it, it was the, the piece of clothing that actually touched the skin. Really, what, what he's saying is he loaned David his underwear. So in his tunic, he put a coat of armor over that and a bronze helmet on his head. So David, fast, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. But again, wanna make sure you're tracking. Saul knows David. He, can we agree, if you know someone well enough that you loan them your underwear, you know him pretty well. <laughs> when, when, when it says Saul liked David very much, we just didn't know how much he liked him. And and, and so David decides to forego the tunic and the sword and all that. And and, and, and the the famous part of the story happens next when David gets his sling and he gets the stones and, and, and he hurls it with great accuracy and great velocity at Goliath. And as my illustrated children's Bible said, I think we have the photo from it. It said, Goliath was dead. Love that illustrated children's Bible. I did not grow up going to church, but I did grow up reading that illustrated children's Bible. So me, like almost everybody else in the world, I I knew the story of David and Goliath. I'd never read the real thing, but the version I read had that great photo picture. Goliath was, boom, dead. Now, what, what you may not know is what happened immediately after the death of the toppling and the death of Goliath. We see that in chapter 17, verse 58, and look at what it says. 51, chapter 17, verse 51, 51, not 58. David ran and stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Now, I just, you do need to know that my illustrated children's Bible did not do a picture of the decapitation. Thank thank you, Jesus. I didn't want traumatized six-year-olds all around. But but here's David. He's got his his moment of, of great glory, his moment of triumph. And he takes the head of the nemesis of the army of the Israelites. He takes the head of Goliath and he he's goes to present it to the king Saul, who we already know, knows him, loves him, wants to loan him his underwear, does loan him his sword, all that stuff. And and this and just imagine, just imagine the kind of attaboys that David must have been sure that he was going to receive, the, the rounds of applause, the way to go, young man. and And, and maybe you. Maybe you know what that's like, at least a little bit. Hopefully you haven't presented to someone in authority the head of an enemy, but you know what it's like to have your pinnacle moment, to have your great accomplishment. To have your moment of glory. And you want to share it with the people you love. And when you share that great moment with the people you love, you want the attaboys. You want the pats on the back. You want the round of applause. You want the credit that you deserve for doing this great thing that you have done. And and you want it from your parents when you're growing up. You want it from your mate if you're married. You, You want it from your friends if you have a circle of friends. You want it on social media. That's why you put the stuff up there to begin with so people will like it. And then you really, oh, the likes are good, but could somebody please love it? This is how you go. And, and again, maybe for you, it was that conference championship that you won or it was that degree that you earned or that promotion that you got. I know that for a lot of you, it was that grandchild child that you were able to give to your parents and all you wanted in return was an out of boy. A round of applause. The credit that you deserved. I mean, just think, just think of everything that Saul could have said to David, remembering that David is presenting him with the head of the arch enemy of the Israelite army. Saul, Saul could have said, Oh, way to go, David. I am so proud of you. I knew you had it in you. Turns out you're a lover and a fighter, David. Here's the keys to your brand new chariot all these things he could have done he should have done if Saul was healthy if Saul was strong if Saul was well which he's not instead in the half a verse that's really the heart of the story when you see that Goliath, he's just a minor character in the psychodrama that's at the heart of the story. In the half verse, look at what Saul says to David when David presents him with the giant's head in chapter 17 and verse 58. Whose son are you, young man? What? What? Oh man, greatest triumph, meet deepest insult. Who who, who are, I don't even remember who you are, boy. Who, Who are you again? We've already proven, have we not, conclusively Saul knows David, Saul likes David, they've been very tight together, and yet at this moment, when David deserves a round of applause, when David deserves the boy, when David should get the keys to his new chariot, who, who are you? The, the ultimate dismissal of not, and he does it from this place of emotional weakness, this ultimate humiliation. Saul takes what should be a moment of glory and it turns it into this nightmare of humiliation. I, I don't even know who you are. What's your name again? Man, the author is just a genius. He, he's been building it up and building it up and building it up and we're gonna, we expect a celebration. We expect a parade. And what David gets instead is the ultimate in humiliation, greatest triumph, meet deepest insult. Whew. Saul just wants him to know by withholding him the dignity of his own name who's really in charge, how the pecking order really works. Makes me think about that time when, when I was 11 and I was hanging around a group of 12-year-olds and I did something a little silly, maybe a little bit dumb and the leader of the 12-year-old pack, you know, the alpha male, big guy, good looking guy, good athlete, everybody wants to be him and he said, who is this kid anyway? Whew. I still remember this, the, the dismissive, insulting kid. He knew my name. He just didn't want to give me the dignity of using it. And it still reverberates, the insult still sticks. Kid. And you know David is all of a sudden walking on eggshells because this is what people who make you walk on eggshells do. People who play head games with you do. There's a response that should be expected, a response that would be normal and healthy, and you give them the the, the opposite of it. Whose son are you? And maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you too had your moment of glory robbed By someone in your life who took that moment, twisted it in order to humiliate you. They did it from their own place of weakness so that you would remember who's really in charge. Maybe that night that you graduated from high school was the same night mom and dad told you they were getting a divorce. Or maybe when you took that girl to the prom, that was the night she broke up with you. Or the day you got the good news about your promotion and your raise at work is the day your husband tells you he's leaving you. Or the time you brought the A minus home on the report card and your parents said, well, why wasn't it an A? Your moment of triumph turns into this nightmare of humiliation like that. There's a head games player and you're the one who gets played. And so how is David, how's David gonna have the wherewithal to continue? Where, where will he find the resources? Not, not only to, to survive this insult, this, this stolen moment, I mean, he's had a moment and it was ripped, it's been a theft right from under his nose. How will he have the resources not only to survive it but to thrive it beyond it? And, and the great thing is, is the key to that is embedded in how the whole story is told because part of the early part of chapter 17, which is the run-up to when actually David gets the sling and the stone and kills Goliath, There's a few things that David says that are absolutely priceless. Look how it starts in verse 26 of chapter 17, where David says this. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Well, now we know the answer. Well, not much. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Same idea in verse 36. David's talking about himself. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because what? He's defied the armies of the living God. And then, verse 45. David said to the Philistines, he's talking to Goliath now, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Ah, three times in just a few verses. And some of you remember me teaching you that the process of writing in ancient times, Physically laborious, very expensive. And if the author repeats something three times in 10 verses, it's like the neon sign. Notice this. Pay attention to this. And what the author wants us to see, because the author's a genius, because he's inspired, eternal, and true. And what he wants us to see is that the, the thing that David brings into the battle with the giant is the same thing that will help him survive the insult from the small-minded king, that David knows who he belongs to, that when his moment of glory gets stolen, David doubles down on that which can never be taken away, which is his identity as a child of God. David knows that humiliation is just a tool of weak people, but he belongs to a strong God. And so really, here's here's what David's story, when you really know the point of David and Goliath is the story of David and Saul. And here's where it leads us, good shepherd. Weak people, they may steal the applause you deserve, but they can never take the approval you have been given. Weak people in your life and in my life They will try to use humiliation as a tool to rob you of your moment of glory, but they can never take your God-given identity. They they can take your yeah, they they can take they can they can take your round of the round of applause. Hello. They can take the round of applause, but they can never take the approval you've been given. This matters, church. This matters. Because if any one of you, if, if your sense of self, your, your, where does your validation come from? If it's all wrapped up in what people say and how people approve of you, that is so, people are so fickle. People are so unpredictable. And that'll never last. If that's the key to your identity, man, man. I, as I was getting this ready I, some of you know me and and, and and others of you have no idea what makes me tick but but, but I was realizing and you 're the lucky ones I was realizing <laughs> I, amen, people who work a good shepherd I was realizing I was realizing that my own appetite for approval is insatiable and 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 sometimes i'm like Talbot. When is it enough? When is the approval at the hands of men enough? Because you already have the approval of the king and he does not need anyone to second it. Why would I be so wrapped up in the applause of the crowd when I've already got the approval of the king? You see, good shepherd, this matters. And all kinds of people, all kinds of people, well more advanced than I am, have had to learn this very difficult lesson. Like, do you know of whom this was said? We've got a quote we're gonna put up on the screen for you. He has done more to harm the cause of Christ than any other living man. You know, of whom that was said? That was said about Billy Graham. Who done said it? Another jealous preacher? Weak people. Steal the applause you deserve, but they can never take the approval that you have been given. Because really, there's a lot of people who just want you to be as miserable as they are. Some folks will never be happy until they persuade or manipulate you to share in their unhappiness. And that's why they take great delight in in your moment of glory, your moment (laughs) with your name in lights and trying to rob you of it. So who is it? Who is it in your life who's a specialist in projecting their own weakness onto you? Who who is it who will not be happy until you are as miserable? You you thought they were just mean. And now you know they're not mean, they're just miserable. And it's hard to know which is more dangerous because they are both deadly. So who is it in your life? Is it a boss? Was it a parent? A sibling? Is it a spouse? See, we're all about the beautiful marriage movement here at Good Shepherd. And we know you can't have a beautiful marriage when there is competition between husband and between wife, each trying to rob glory from the other. Who, who is it someone at school? Whoever it is, don't let them do it. Decide now. Realize now. I'm done seeking the applause of the crowd because I have the approval of the king and that's all the validation that I need. So much like a, a piece of cloth. You need just a regular old piece of cloth. It's not worth very much then on that same piece of cloth, you, you stitched the name Versace, Ralph Lauren. And all of a sudden, what was kind of meh is tada. da It's the same with you. Once you have been stamped with Jesus's blood-bought child, your value, nothing can take that value away. Don't let them do it. Don't let them even try. Realize, understand today. Yeah, this weak person out of their own weakness, projecting their own misery on me, I'm not letting them do it because who else? Who else bore the humiliation of weak people? Who else suffered? Not by chance, but by choice. Not at your expense, but for your sake. Who else is the one who in you, to you and through you will declare over every insult and every humiliation, my blood bought and spirit filled child. Who else? Jesus, only Jesus. Weak people, weak people may take the applause you deserve. They can never take the approval you've been given. Let's pray. So Father, thank you that our value, our validation, our purpose comes not from the crowd, but from the King. And I ask that you would raise up a generation of sons and daughters of that King today. Those who understand just how good you are. In your name we pray. Amen.